welcome to the preaching ministry of the Agape Baptist Church in George, South Africa. Good morning, church. Would you please turn your Bibles to James chapter 3, James chapter 3. As we continue our study through the letter of James, I think it would be helpful to look back on the path that we have journeyed thus far together, especially after the the holiday season and our short break to go through um, some passages in the book of Luke, celebrating the coming of Christ. This letter was written by James, the half-brother of Jesus and the leader of the church in Jerusalem sometime around the year A.D. 40. James is writing to Jewish Christians who have been scattered throughout the known world, fleeing persecution in Palestine. The original recipients of this letter may have been members of the church in Jerusalem, and James is writing this letter as a pastor concerned for the welfare of those he had witnessed come to Christ, but then who were scattered throughout the known world. A lot of what James writes is practical in nature, similar to what we see in the book of Proverbs or in the Sermon on the Mount. Sometimes it is difficult to say why he jumps from one concept to the next, but we can be assured God's purpose for breathing out his words through James is clear. All believers are confronted with all believers who are confronted with this letter are urged to live out your faith in a time and place where the things of this world are at war with the church and seeking to infiltrate it. So as we study James, we must keep in mind this admonition to live out your faith despite the earthly circumstances you might find yourself in. In chapter 1, James delivers one of the most difficult truths to live out. He says, to count it or calculate it to be all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Why? Why are we to calculate the suffering of this age to be joy? Not because evil is good, not because it makes us happy, but instead we count it all joy because we know that the sufferings of this life have a purpose. They are refining and maturing our faith, molding us into the image of our Lord Jesus Christ. But that message is difficult to receive because we all love ourselves immensely which prompts James to spend the majority of this letter identifying and correcting our errant loves. We are confronted about the love of money and possessions, for they will fade away. Those who blamed God for their temptation to sin are rebuked for believing a lie, because God cannot be tempted and he tempts no one. Many were guilty of hearing the words of God, the faithful teaching and instruction of truth and wisdom, but then refusing to conform themselves to God's standard of righteousness. They claimed they were religious. I'm one of you. I'm wise. I'm understanding. But they did not act like, speak like, or love like the Savior. In chapter 2, James advances further, zeroing in on the wickedness of partiality, which inevitably despises and rejects many for whom Christ died. Which then leads James to declare 
that if you claim to believe in Jesus and in the Father who sent him, but you do not live out your faith in a visible way, then you do not in reality have saving faith. And you are still dead in your sins. In chapter 3, in the beginning of chapter 3, James explains the massive potential of our speech or the tongue. Potential to build up or the potential to tear down and destroy. This warning echoes the words found in chapter 1, verse 19 and 20. It says, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. James identifies the reality that the tongue has divided loyalties. One moment blessing God and the next cursing people, those upon whom God has placed great value. In response to the, to the divided loyalties of the tongue, and most likely as a response to the generally divided nature of many of his hearers' lives, James writes in chapter 3, verse 10, My brothers and sisters, these things ought not to be so. This is the path through the letter of James that we have walked through thus far. It hasn't always been, been an easy journey. I know that there were several parts that were difficult for me to preach. I'm sure there are many portions that were difficult to and difficult and hard to receive. But I take great joy and hope in these loving corrections and in all the gracious promises we have received from God through His Word that He will generously give us all that we need. He will exalt the lowly and give the crown of life to the ones who remain faithful. That every good gift comes down directly and only from God. And that it was of his own will that he saved us in the first place. That was just a brief overview of the path we have walked thus far through James. But now I ask you to turn your gaze back to the path ahead of us. And specifically to this first, to the next six verses. Found in James chapter 3 verses 13 through 18. Beginning in verse 13, we'll read it together. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. After all, we desperately need the Spirit of God to take these words of God and pierce to the deepest recesses of our hearts. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, please help us now as we humble ourselves before you and before your words, the truth that you have delivered to your people, that we might have life and have it abundantly through faith and obedience in our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Spirit of God, search us. Know our hearts. Try us and know our thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in us. And then lead us in the way everlasting. Amen. In this passage, we see, as it were, a tale of two wisdoms. The wisdom from below and the wisdom from above. But before contrasting these two wisdoms, James issues a challenge to his readers in verse 13. He begins this challenge with a question. Who is wise and ending among you? From the context, we can see that James is addressing the church. So he is asking, among your brothers and sisters in Christ, who would you put forward as wise? Who do you consider worthy of following? Do you consider yourself to be wise in understanding? Take a second. Think, think seriously about this question. Maybe list the names of the people you follow in your mind. Or if you're like me, write them down. Some of these people may be public figures you follow or authors you read. These are people that any honest evaluation of your life would show that they hold significant influence. Okay, so maybe by now, hopefully, you have a short list of names. Now consider with me the question of why. Why do you consider these people to be wise and understanding? There are many possibilities. Maybe they are successful, a powerful speaker, a persuasive writer, or incredibly intelligent. Maybe their understanding of church history, doctrine, theology, and the Bible far surpasses the ordinary persons. And if you have added your own name to the list, then make sure to add that reason as why. Why do you consider yourself wise and understanding? So we have our list of names and some reasons why we respect and follow these people as wise and understanding. With this information, we can now face James' challenge in the rest of verse 13. He says of those who are considered wise and understanding, in verse 13, by his good conduct, this wise person's conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. James starts his challenge by going directly to the person's good behavior or good conduct or behavior, not their intellect or knowledge. By this, he once again emphasizes the obedient and loving behavior behavior of a person above mere mental assent or understanding of truth. James then calls this person to show or demonstrate his works. This word works is important because it has a very specific meaning. Word studies defines this word works as a deed or action that carries out or completes an inner desire, the intention and purpose of the heart. Works are the evidence of the condition and desires of your heart. The outward deed is simply the carrying out of what your heart truly desired in the first place. The works James is talking about are not the false acts of charity or religiosity done for show to be seen. Instead, these works flow naturally from the heart. 
In verse 13, James is saying that the one who is wise and understanding will visibly live a genuinely obedient life. But he doesn't stop there. The final portion of this verse is the primary point I believe he's trying to make, or he is making. The wise and understanding person will be known for acting and speaking in the meekness of wisdom. By entitling this attribute the meekness of wisdom, he implies the inseparable nature of meekness and wisdom. He's saying if you truly are, if you are truly wise and understanding, then you will be meek. If you fail to live in meekness towards others, then you are not wise and you lack understanding. In the world James lived in, and still in our world today, meekness is not the first quality that comes to mind when thinking of successful people or great leaders. And to put it bluntly, even most Christians cringe at the word meek or meekness. Why is that the reaction? What is informing our attitude towards this way of life? If our response to the word meekness is a cringe, we are not informed by the wisdom of God. The word translated meekness is the Greek word prautes, and depending on the context, could be translated gentleness, humility, or meekness. This word emphasizes the gentle strength and reserved power of the one described. And in the scriptures, meekness carries with it the concept of patient suffering. Though you may have the power and the right to seek vengeance or retribution. Meekness is used to describe Moses in Numbers 12. Though he was the leader of Israel, could perform signs and wonders and spoke directly with God, did not use that power to abuse those who criticized him. Instead, he was quick to forgive and plead the cause of the rebellious people and even those who specifically challenged and criticized him. In Matthew 11, Jesus, the Son of God, says of himself in verse 28, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. This meekness, gentleness, and humility was was ultimately demonstrated when Jesus allowed wicked men to beat and crucify him, though he could have vanquished them with a word. Meekness and gentleness, gentleness, then, clearly do not originate from weakness. Instead, meekness and gentleness are given by the Spirit as we obediently submit ourselves to the sovereign plan and purpose of God the Father. Think about it. Why was Jesus gentle and meek while being crucified? It's because he was obediently submitting himself to the sovereign plan and purpose of his Father. Why would you or I respond with impatience and gentleness, humility and meekness when wronged, criticized, misused, or hurt? Why respond with gentleness to another believer when they disagree with me? Why speak with humility when rebuking a brother in sin? 
Why hold back, putting a gate before my mouth when my first response is anger at the injustice of another's sin against me? It's because we know from verses like Romans 8.28 that God is working all things for the good of those who love him, even the suffering and mistreatment of his people. In Romans 12.19, which says, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. We are called to act and live according to truths like these. Letting go of our right for vengeance, but instead entrusting ourselves to the justice of God. This change in heart and behavior only comes about by the work of the Spirit of God as we obey God's word and submit ourselves to his sovereign plan and purpose. Think about the command of God found in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. It says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. What am I supposed to do with that verse? I know we studied it together, but every time I come back to it, my flesh says, no. I don't want to experience trials. They hurt. God, I don't want help through the trial. I want absolute and complete deliverance from all trials. But as I believe we can all attest, the trials of this life are many. And God says he is pleased to mature us in our love and faith through these trials. His desire is to develop in us spiritual muscles, this endurance, rather than leaving us flabby, weak, and vulnerable to the attacks of the devil, that we may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So what must we do with this command? Let's obediently submit ourselves to the sovereign plan and purpose of God, trusting that the Spirit will complete His work in us. In James 3.13, we see that the one who is wise and understanding will visibly live a genuinely obedient life, saturated by this gentleness and meekness of wisdom. Letting go of all worldly rights, vengeance, pride, and personal glory before the God who loved him and ransomed him. The God who has promised the crown of life in heaven if we are willing to suffer for the sake of Christ in this life. Verse 13 is a challenge to rightly judge whether one is truly wise and understanding. It flips upside down the values of this age and places supreme value in obedience, humility, gentleness, and meekness. In verses 14 through 16, as we continue, James rebukes anyone who claims to be wise, but lives without this meekness, who lives according to the wisdom from below. He says in verse 14, But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. 
This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. In verse 14, we see the opposite of meekness. It's bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. Jealousy is the Greek word zelon, which can also be translated zeal. In fact, that's exactly how it is translated in John 2, verse 17. While quoting a prophecy about the Messiah, this passage says of Jesus that zeal for your house has consumed me. This word originates from the concept of inner boiling and heat, which is ready to boil over into action. Zelon, jealousy or zeal, can be either a positive or a negative thing. But in verse 14, it is clear that the zeal is corrupt. It is described as bitter. It's sharp and harsh. This zeal bites and cuts others. Why? It's because of, this, of its selfish ambition. The rivalry between people that has at its center the elevation of self. James is saying that if you claim to be wise and understanding, but have in your heart this zeal for self-elevation, this carnal ambition that seeks a following, then you are lying to yourself and boasting in your arrogance. Verse 15 says, This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. This zeal for self does not come from God. This is not the example given to us by our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was worthy to receive glory, honor, and praise, he still obediently submitted himself to the sovereign plan and purpose of his Father. Instead, this zeal for self-elevation is earthly, unspiritual, demonic, earthly, the opposite of heavenly. All that is earthly is perishable, temporal, and passing away. Unspiritual, the opposite of spiritual, to be supremely concerned with the natural and fleshly desires within man. Demonic, that which in its nature and origin is from the devil. The devil is a liar a murderer, and the one who blinds this world. To proclaim yourself wise and understanding while having a heart filled with self-glorifying zeal is to cling to that which is passing away, fleshly and ultimately opposed to Christ. Verse 16 tells us the outcome of the wisdom from below. It says, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. There's no need for me to detail for you the chaos fighting wars and murders that fill our history books due to this unrestrained zeal for self-elevation. But what about right here, right now, in our workplaces, in our church, and in our homes. We're not talking primarily about all those people. This word is for us. 
men? Is a zeal for your rights or your comfort crushing your family under the weight of expectations they could never fulfill? The house isn't clean. The food wasn't made on time. My children aren't invisible and constantly quiet. Wives, when was the last time you praised your husband? Even though he is not perfect, you still recognize God working good in and through your husband he gave you. Or is there only fear? Fear to do or say anything that might elevate him over yourself. That might lift him up and he might become proud. Is that what's in our hearts? Am I quick to put down and criticize others? Falling victim to the appeal of elevating myself somehow in the eyes of others by bringing down others. My competition. Church, what is the motivator of our zeal, our passion? Is it a love for God, His glory, His kingdom, His church? Or does our zeal only evidence itself when my comfort, my rights, my pride is threatened? James says that this harsh zeal for self-elevation has no trace of the wisdom of God. Instead, James lists eight characteristics of the wisdom of God, beginning in verse 17. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. As you think about these qualities listed, it becomes clear that these are what the wisdom from above looks like when lived out. Again, James is emphasizing that genuine wisdom is visible in everyday life. It's not just something we hide inside and we think about something we live. The first and overarching evidence of wisdom listed is purity. To say that wisdom is pure is is for it to be holy, sacred, without the stain of sin. Wisdom Wisdom is then peaceable. This is the quality of wholeness that comes from knowing and obeying God and is consistently encouraging peace with one another. It is the opposite of brokenness. Gentle. This word in the Greek is different than the gentleness and meekness that we saw in verse 13. Gentle in this verse is best described as yielding in the areas of personal preference. It is the opposite of being harsh and strict about things the scriptures do not clearly address. Wisdom is then open to reason. 
This adjective is literally translated ready to obey. This describes the humble willingness to follow the clear and true teaching and instruction of God's word. This is the opposite of prideful rebellion in order to maintain my current way of life. Full of mercy. This is compassion or pity. This mercy that one person displays to another is based on a right understanding of how much God values mankind, those who are made in his likeness. Therefore, mercy does not take into account the worthiness of the recipient before reaching out a loving hand in compassion. Wisdom is full of good fruits. This is a very general way of encompassing everything good that specifically belongs to and comes from being in Christ. In John 15, we see Christ saying, He is the true vine. We are the branches attached to Him. Every branch attached to Him will bear good fruit, the evidence of being alive in Christ. Next, wisdom is impartial. This is the quality of being without division, being wholehearted and without uncertainty. When you are impartial, you know the truth in the right way. And nothing can tempt you away from that path. Not pride, comfort, prestige, or the threat of suffering. Finally, James says the wisdom from above is sincere. This word literally means not hypocritical or without hypocrisy. There is a genuineness to the life lived for the glory of God and for the good of his people. You cannot fake it. So often those with the label of Christian have been accused of being hypocritical because they lacked sincerity. Their words spoke one thing while their lives shouted another. Brothers and sisters, there is much richness of life to be gained from spending time praying over and contemplating these qualities. God's word is full of abundance and riches that increase our hope, joy, love, and peace far beyond anything that this world can offer us. How much better to get wisdom than gold? To get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. In conclusion, James paints for us a picture that encourages us in our pursuit of sorry, that encourages us in our pursuit of living according to the wisdom from above. It says in verse 18, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. When we live according to the wisdom from above, striving for peace or wholeness with others, then James says we are like a farmer who is laboring long and hard in the fields. The seeds that the wise farmer scatters are not the seeds of canola, canola, wheat, or barley, No, the wise man scatters peace 
everywhere he walks, everything he touches, receives the seeds of peace from his life. And with sufficient time and patience, the wise man will see a harvest, a crop or return of righteousness, that which is pleasing to God in the lives of many of those around him and in his own life as well. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. It is a lamp for our feet and a light on our path. Help us, Father. We are so quick to assume we have things figured out, but we're slow to admit any fault or vice. Please show us where we are not living according to your wisdom. Help me love your way more than I love being right. Thank you for Jesus, the one who began this good work in us and the one who has promised to complete it. Amen. Jesus said that if I first I should come to I should come.